Welcome to the Culture Classroom, a podcast for teachers and coaches by teachers and coaches. Listen to top leaders, innovators, and influencers share their stories about how intentional culture elevates performance. Now, here are your hosts, John Weaver and John Torrey. Let's get better together. Hey, joining us in the classroom today is Cade Carter, MRA captain and standout and Coach Weaver. I am so excited Cade has joined us on this podcast. Welcome, Cade. I I really can't wait to hear your insight. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor and a privilege to be here right now talking with you all. Yeah, well, Cade, uh, we'll get into what Cade is. I mean, he's a team captain. Uh, He was an All-State player. But he gets what we're going to talk about today more than I think any high school player that I've ever met and it's the R cycle. So, John, go ahead and lay out what the R cycle is going to be about today. It's a real unique thing. We take a spin off of uh, relationships, results, and rules, and how those all fit in a cycle. So, go ahead. Yeah, Coach Weaver, I think this really comes from our conversations. Not any one particular one, but many over the course of, of a couple of years. Uh, a lot of our listeners are familiar with the R factor, right? The E plus R equals O, Tim Kite's deal, the Focus 3 deal. Well, this kind of builds off that, but it puts a unique spin on it. And uh, I just kind of call it the R cycle. And it's relationships, rules, and results. And those three things ebb and flow together, depending on your leadership style and what you're trying to do with your team. And for me, it's all about relationships first then we can kind of have some boundaries or rules and then hopefully those two things together drive behavior which will achieve results Um, i know a lot of coaches don't operate that way though sometimes we establish our rules first and this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to behave and this is the standard and then we'll build the relationship and then if we don't get the results then we'll go back and we'll revamp things or whatever but we're constantly have this ebb and flow this tug this push pull uh, of all these factors together. You know, you brought in the relationships maybe to the second part with the rules, but I think maybe sometimes coaches go rules, results. And then because of the results, I have great relationships with my kids. And that's another way to look at it. But we're going to outline, you know, there's a famous movie out there that we're going to talk about. Uh, I just got through watching it. It was on, uh, I think, Freeform or something. I don't know. It was on some show, and I'm like, I hit record and DVR it and went back and watched it. And, uh, you know, Cade's going to give us some insight of what the R cycle means to him and how he went through his senior year and what led him to be a captain and the things he sacrificed because of relationships to help get results, uh, not just to a coach, but his teammates as well. So I'd say one of the most important things for me, learning about the R cycle and talking about that, is you have to first establish those relationships. If you're going to be a player, if you're going to be committed to your team, if you want to lead, your players have to know that you care about them. Your teammates have to know that you are willing to do whatever it takes for them. I think one of the biggest things for us is I remember it was after one of our games, I just suffered a high ankle sprain and could hardly put weight on my left foot, but I stayed with one of the other captains for about an hour in the locker room, cleaning up, just picking up little pieces of trash and writing down names on the list because we had talks for hours and hours about guys, we have to keep a perfect locker. It has to be clean because it's those things that no one sees that will end up hurting you. And so me and their captain stayed for about an hour after and picked it up. And we came to the team and addressed it for about the third time and it wasn't fixed. We said, all right, if your name was on the list, on the line, and we're going to run with you. Even though our lockers were perfect and we were saying, hey, you can come look at what we have, we were saying, we're going to get on the line with you because we're a team. 
if you screw up, we screw up with you because we're captains and we hold this team accountable. See, when they know they can trust you to hold those rules to yourself and them, and them, the relationships grow and grow and grow, making the rules stronger. And if you can take care of those little things like keeping the locker room clean and going through that line to make sure no one skips the reps, those results will take care of themselves and it just keeps feeding to another because the more results you have, the more the trust grows in that relationship because you see the process and just keeps feeding into that cycle. It all starts with building a healthy relationship to have a healthy cycle. I, I, I mean, just write that down and trademark it, healthy relationship, healthy cycle. <laughs> I mean, those are all things that we want. Kate, like, where did you come from? Like, what mold put you here? Uh, I think about some of the kids on our team or the kids that I've been around, when they get injured, they're the first one out of the locker room and they're kind of moping out of the locker room, right? Like they're feeling sorry for themselves. You're staying around almost putting your own personal health at risk by continuing to uh, uphold the standard for other people. So there's all kinds of stuff there that Coach Weaver and I talk about. We talk about death by inches where letting little things add up and it kills you over time. We talk about servant leadership. Uh, we just talk about all these different things, sacrifice, putting your own personal good out of the way so that you can serve everybody else or so that you can represent what your team ideals are. And that is amazing. Yeah, and one thing I'd like to touch on right there, you said putting your personal self out there and like your health out there. I knew that, you know, once I signed up to be on this team, it really wasn't me anymore. I was an MRA Patriot. I was a part of this football team. It wasn't up to me to decide what I wanted. It's what the team needed is what I gave. If they asked for something, if I knew they needed something, I was willing to give it regardless of what happened to me because I knew my brothers would do the exact same thing for me because we were building those constant relationships to start off that cycle. So it's no longer me. It's playing into that team. I want to reiterate that really fast for our listeners. If you didn't catch that, you need to slow down your podcast or slow down what you're listening to and just soak this in. It's not that I gave what the team needed. That goes back to what we talked about, your best self. And it's what the team needs. It's not about what you need. Or we go back to the sweetness, the bittersweetness uh, episode we just released. But it's what's best for the team and what can I provide for that team for them to be successful. And for an 18-year-old to get that, I think, JT, you can see why we're so successful and we've won back-to-back is because of captains like him that understand what that looks like in our program. Um, You know, wow. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, it's such a powerful story. I think about my own flaws as a leader, as a human being, as a coach. And uh, my only conclusion is how much more time and energy would I have to give to the things that I need to devote more time and energy to if I didn't have to hold other people accountable to do what they were supposed to do. So if I had more captains like Cade, and think about that, what that looks like in your own program, uh, in your own school, in your own organization. If you have a leader like Cade who can uphold the standard, who can embody everything that you're looking for, uh, how much that frees you up to do other things where you're best needed. And one of the biggest parts for me personally, playing every single position since, you know, five years of football, I've learned how to be a bench warmer, learned how to play offense, defense, lineman, skill position, you name it, I've played it. And I think the biggest part there is being able to build those relationships to know what your teammates need from you. 
I know when I was a bench warmer, eighth grader on the varsity team, I couldn't take myself anywhere. And those seniors would always come by and be like, hey, do you need a ride home? Is there anything I can do for you? It's those relationships that make you want to be committed to them and committed to the process, keeping that sideline elevated because you know you care about them. Your skilled players, they need to know they have a good relationship with their quarterback so they can trust him and the quarterback can trust the receiver to run the right route. The running back needs to be able to trust the offensive line so he's going to have the right fit on that scoop. He's not going to miss his block. He's going to climb to the linebacker. Defensive linemen need to have a trust with that linebacker so they know if I reach on this down block and I take on this tackle, it's going to hurt me, but it's going to hurt that running back a lot more because I know i got a guy coming behind me that's just about to take his lights out. I know that if you have that trust with someone and you build those relationships doing those little things, asking if you can take them out to eat, take, give them a ride home, do whatever they need, because you know these kids, you're around them. I mean, the majority of your day, the majority of your life, you're spending with these players, with your brothers. You need to treat them like your brothers and do whatever you can to make them better and build those relationships. They'll take care of you and you'll take care of them, and then the cycle just repeats itself. Again, I want to reiterate what you said earlier, what the team needs, I gave. And uh, I, I think everything you're saying, Kate, is exactly goes back to that statement of what the team needs, I give. Um, Coach Weaver, let's talk a little bit about this movie that's so iconic for us coaches. And Cade, I just told him it's mandatory captain viewing, in my opinion. Um, but we're going to dive into Varsity Blues a little bit here to keep making our points. Yeah, Varsity Blues, If uh, for our listeners, I think a lot of them know about this movie. Bud Kilmer, uh, Lance Harbor, uh, you can Johnny go the, Moxon. Johnny Moxon. I mean, you can go into the whole list of characters, and uh, this movie has so many. Um, it, it's the epitome of high school football. But the head coach is what we're going to talk about, Bud Kilmer. And we talk about the R cycle, about the relationships, the rules, the results. Well, it was all about rules and results for Bud Kilmer. No matter the rela- his relationships came later, uh, even if they were, I don't even know if they were there with the relationships. It was what can you do, what can I make you do to help our team be successful and win a conference championship. Hint, I just remember the the – uh, the pep rally when he's going to win like I guess his 23rd straight conference title you know and he's like go pack go pack and, and he's at that that pep rally and I'm like wow and you continue to watch the show and you see that at the end the relationships of what the players form with each other and the relationships I think formed from the hate for Kilmer what drove them to go back out. And, and one of the famous lines, and you see Moxon, he says it, he goes, the only way we're going back on that field is without you. And that speaks volumes for the rule setter that has zero relationship and how fast you can lose your team. Yeah, I think uh, the lesson to learn from that is that your players will do it, but they won't like it. And then they'll underachieve because of that because you've got one of those pieces out of balance or uh, you don't even have a piece at all. But, you know, I think about that iconic scene too, and it's early in the movie, the pep rally, you know, the tonight we beat Bingville and everybody goes crazy. And that's what it's all about um, in that movie. For Bud Kilmer, that's everything right there. It's just win, win at all costs. He's the epitome of that. 
Yeah. Um, I think about when the running back is in the back room, in the training room, away from the team, and it's right before kickoff or it's at halftime. I can't remember. Uh, it's been a little while since I've seen the movie. And they're getting ready to stick the syringe in his knee so that he can play. I mean, and the kid doesn't really want to do it. He's hesitant, you know, but Bud Kilmer's like, no, no, this is the best thing for you. No, Bud, it's really the best thing for you as you go out and try to win that football game. Yeah, and it's a, uh, it was at halftime, and here's the thing. And it, when you said that, it's the best thing for the team. No, it's the best thing for Bud because the doctor goes, I heard a pop, or, or the running back said, I heard a pop, and Kilmer, the first thing he says to the doctor, he says, can you fix him? Not, hey, is he going to be okay? It's, can you fix him? Because Bud is worried about one thing and one thing alone, and that's winning that conference title. Yeah, you know, and I think you mentioned another thing right there, and I don't know if you meant to do it or uh, if it was just kind of like a passing chance, but Bud's talking to the doctor. He's not talking to his athlete. No. You know, when I have a kid go down on the mat or on the field, the first thing I do, I don't, I let the doctor do his thing. I've got to try to distract the kid. I want to engage with the kid. Are you okay? What did you hear? What happened? Talk me through it. They're usually in a state of hysteria. It's my job to just start that process of calming the kid down. And I can't do that if I don't have a relationship. And Bud wasn't even interested in doing that. He didn't even care about the kid. He just wanted to hear what the doctor's medical diagnosis was. Yeah, and that's, that's and I think when Moxon walks in and then Lance backs him up and then Tweeter comes back in and uh, he's like, all right, you want out? Then you're out. And then he started going through these guys and the, you saw the team just start backing away. Like, no, no, coach, I'm out. I'm out too, and then Tweeter's out, and then they're all, and that's when Moxon makes his famous line. He goes, the only way we'll go back on that field is without you. And that's when I think Bud maybe hit his lowest point of his coaching. When he thought he had his players, he thought they're playing for me because we're winning. No, they weren't playing for you. They were, they were playing for you because they were fearful of what you would do to them. I mean, I remember my, him, I mean, when yeah. you talk about the oop-de-oop, the oop de oop de oop right? And he's grabbing his face mask and all that stuff. So, you know, and when well, he yells at Billy Bob after the game, when Lance gets hurt, you know, when he's telling him, go cry, fat baby, I can't see you anymore. Just get out of here. I mean, he's, he's berating these guys, these high school kids. And we know it's a, it's a Hollywood movie, but how it's played out, do you see so many coaches take either the relationship approach or the rules approach? Yeah, and I think about generations too. You know, you got the dads on the hood of their cars watching practice, and that's a little bit Hollywood. But I think the the tome that they bring out in the film is that that's real, right? There's pressure. Those kids feel the pressure. They get it from Kilmer. They get it from their teammates. They get it from their dads because that's what their dads did when they were in school. And damn it, that's what you're going to do as an athlete playing for Kilmer. And that's the expectation. And let's be honest, kids under that kind of pressure, when they have, they feel it all around and there's no escape. And that's really Johnny Moxon. He's going to go to an Ivy League school the next year, not to play football, but just to escape to get out of football, to get out of Texas. He can't wait for that to happen, to finally get out and go on his own. Uh, that pressure can be healthy. You know, that we talk, we've talked creative tension where pressure is needed as a leader, but pressure will also burst pipes. Mm -hmm. So you can cause, you can create a diamond with pressure or you can burst a pipe. And I think that's what we saw. 
uh, with uh, Bud Kilmer's team was that that pipe was ready to burst. And finally it did at the end of the movie. And of course, that's the whole story. Yeah. So here's what I want to get to. And we talked about this in our last, after we finished recording our last episode. We talked about, and you, you put a question on me of, would this player play hurt for this coach to win a championship? Well, it's based on the relationship piece or the rules piece. And Cade actually did that. So, I mean, five minutes before we started recording, I was kind of telling Cade what the R cycle was. And then I just posed the question. He's like, hey, would you ever play hurt for Coach Davis to win another state championship? And I'm going to let Cade tell you what he told me. Yeah, so uh, I actually told Coach, probably shouldn't have said this, but the week of the state championship, I came down with a pretty nasty case of the flu. Thankfully, no fever, but I had the aches, the chills. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I was sweating. It was the worst shape, I, close to the worst shape I've ever been in my life. I mean, I was sick as a dog. I could hardly get myself to school in the morning, but I knew that my team needed me to play. I didn't have a backup. I was going to do whatever they needed because my team needed me. I got one game left in my high school career. I've seen people sacrifice for me for five years. I've seen people go through absolute hell for me. I can do it for one hour. If I can just give my body up for one hour for what the team needs and just take a little bit of discomfort, be sick and play, then the results will take care of themselves because I just have to be able to put myself through that because I know they're counting on me to do that. They might not know what's going on with me, but I know they love me and they're going to be there for me, so I have to be there for them, even at my lowest of lows. If they need me, I'm there no matter what. I mean, it's so powerful. We uh, we talked on our, our podcast before about Clark Kent Superman. And there's you being Clark Kent, right? I'm sick. You know, I'm not going into work. I'm, I'm, I'm discomfort. That's probably the best way to say it. Nope, suck it up. I got to go in that phone booth, right? No matter how much I feel like it or don't feel like it, my team needs Superman. And uh, I think it's such a powerful story, Cade. Well, let me ask you this. What made that decision, like, was there one thing that that decision hinged on, other than it's a championship game, other than it's your last game of your career? Like, why do it? Why put yourself through it? I knew that we had sacrificed too much. I'd given up too much time, too much effort, too many blood, sweat, and tears to go through what I've gone through and to quit right now. It's the same as running a sprint. When we're running those 300-yard shuttles and we have to make it in a certain amount of time, and I'm going back and forth and back and forth on 25-yard 25 25-yard line, and I'm gassed. And Coach, I can hear him counting up the time. He's got five seconds left, and I'm about a good three yards away. I'm not going to hold up just because I'm three yards away and i got five seconds. I'm going to keep giving everything I have to cross that. And another thing, Coach, this is probably a, bit a surprise to you. Last year after our state championship, the day after I immediately went into wrist surgery, because for the entire season uh, last year, I had a broken wrist and didn't really tell anyone. It got to the point where I couldn't even lift my backpack to go to school in the morning with my uh, good hand. So I just ended up just slinging it up and wrapping it up and playing through it just because, I mean, team was counting on me. I'm going to do whatever they need. So if you just are willing to put yourself through it and realize that when you signed on to this team and you built those relationships, it's not you that's playing. It's number 42 that's on the field. You are not yourself, you are that team. And that team needs you to be strong, you're gonna be strong. You don't have to be a superhero, but you're gonna have to act like it and you're gonna have to do your job. It's simple as that, just do your job, no matter the cost, no matter the price, do what you can. Unbelievable, I, I think today, 
21st century athletes. And again, Coach Weaver, we've kind of hit on this before, are a little bit softer from our generation. You know, I think every generation feels like the next generation is a little softer. Um, As you're talking about that, Kate, as you're talking about your wrist from last season, you know, I think about Mark Bravaro, who in 1986 with the Giants, like he broke his jaw in the first half and had the doctors wire it shut. And he drank through a straw through the rest of the season, but he played in that second half. I think about Ronnie Lott, who's missing the upper part of his pinky because he wasn't going to sit out of a playoff game. Um, you know, when they said, oh, no, he got cut really bad, uh, and uh, they were going to, you know, give him stitches and, and kind of wrap it up, doctor it up, and he was going to have to sit out in the playoffs. And Ronnie Lott refused, so they just, he just said, cut it off. I don't care. Uh, those stories of toughness are increasingly rare. Right? Would you agree with that, Coach Weaver? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, you. I just think about. I go back to Josh Morgan. We played West Monroe, who's a perennial power. Played high school football with him. He's the head football coach at Warren Central right now. Played at Mississippi State at safety. And uh, I remember his senior year, my junior year, he had the flu, and he was the quarterback. Also played free safety for us. And we were down ten seven. And he was so sick, they were pumping IVs in him at halftime. He was drinking Sprite. He was, you know, eating Snickers bars. And I just remember looking over and seeing our team doctor giving him an IV at halftime to make sure that he could finish the game. And I was like, that's the definition of a warrior. You know, and you you hear about those stories now from Cade, but they're, they're few and far between because most of them are like, oh, my ankle, I, I got to sit out. I'm going I'm to I'm sit out for two weeks or – you know, I got my elbow or my shoulder. Um, and look, if you're really injured, you're injured. But if you're hurt, there's a big difference. We, you know, all the coaches that listen to this know that. They know the, the difference between hurt and injured. But you have stories like Cade to where they sacrifice their body for the team to achieve the result that was predicated off relationships that were built throughout time. Kane, I'm going to ask you two things here, and uh, I want you to look specifically at your own experience of that wrist problem. One, why did you feel like you had to hide it? I felt like I had to hide it because I knew Coach was looking out for me. He had that relationship with me. He knew that if I was hurt, he was going to try to put someone else in. I knew that I wanted to play because I had done too much for this team and they had done too much for me. I wasn't going to stop. Nothing was going to stop me from playing. I think it boils down to most people are at the same physical level of toughness on that football team. I know I'm probably on the lower end of that. You're not. You're probably going to bench more than me. You're going to run faster than me. But the mentally, no one is going to work harder than me. No one's going to be more committed to the little things. Mentally, I'm going to be tougher than each and every person out on that field. Even though I don't have that physical edge, I will outwork you every day of the week, no matter what, and I'm going to be on that field. You can't take me off. That's what I was going through my mind. Man, as you're sitting there talking about that, I'm thinking about Dan Gable, who gets done with a wrestling practice, and he goes out and he runs five more miles with his friend driving behind the car. They'd run a mile, then they'd drive for a mile, and the other one would get out and run. You know, I'm thinking about, I have images of Walter Payton running through uh, on the sandbars uh, down in the Delta that he would do in the offseason. You know, I think about Jerry Rice on his hill, middle of nowhere, hot sun, summer day, no one around. Like, no one sees you do that work. Those are intangibles. Um my second question for you is we all have the hindsight of looking back and knowing that you won two state titles and, and, you know, got the storybook ending kind of thing. How would you feel 
if you wouldn't have won that game but played in it and played hurt. Obviously, you know, you go into every game hoping to win. You focus on what you can control and you hope to win. If we hadn't won, I still would have been honored to play with those brothers and done everything I could have done. And if I know what I played to the best of my ability, whatever happened, happened. And I can't control that. I can control what I do, and that's it. So what happens, happens. But I was proud that we won, I'm proud of my team, and I couldn't be more thankful for them. Wow. I mean, Coach Weaver, I think about Jerry Jones, right? Like, Jerry Jones, you know, maybe one of the greediest owners in the NFL, if not the greediest, uh, clearly has a plan what he wants for the Cowboys. But uh, I think about playing hurt, and am I going to play hurt to sell more jerseys or Pepsi for Jerry Jones? Uh, no. It's just <laughs> Probably not. Probably not at all. Not, you know, he's in it for, for Jerry's world, and that's the way people see it. Like, it's Jerry's world. Oh, if you're not getting this done or you're hurt, I mean, he's done with you. There's no there's no relationship piece that's in there. There's no relationship piece that's, that's holding those players tied to Jerry Jones versus Clemson and their players, can't, uh, Trevor Lawrence and Dabo Sweeney. I think one of the biggest things is, you look at the Cowboys right now, you think of the Cowboys as Jerry Jones' team, whereas you look at Clemson, you think of Clemson football team. You don't look at it as a player or a person or an owner or a coach. You look at it as a unit. When everyone's bought into that culture and they value the relationships with each other, you start losing that single figurehead of, you know, everything rests on this one person's shoulders and everyone plays for a unit rather than just one person who everyone doesn't have a relationship with. You know, that's such a really insightful comment and it's wise beyond your years, Cade. Um, I, I do, I think of, we all know Dabo, you know, we all know Trevor Lawrence, uh, but I don't see them as different. You see Clemson, I see the tiger paw that pops in my mind. You know, I see the Dallas star also, but it is, it's Jerry's world, right? Yeah. Uh, it's Jerry's show. Like, uh, I don't even know who the coach of the Cowboys is right now. I mean, I do, but Jerry Jones is the answer, right? And so I think for our kids, uh, for our listeners and people who are trying to wrap their mind around this R cycle, the relationship really works a couple ways. It's kind of like, what's your relationship to the program? And then what's your views on the program? And I, I think those two answers will help you arrive at should I play injured or not. That's a great way to look at it. Um, you know, as we started throwing around this R cycle and the R factor, you know, our response uh, with that, the cycle, and as you have it drawn up there, it can go both ways. But you think about the relationships and you have rules which pull the results rather than, hey, here are the rules, here are the results. Wait, now we can have a relationship because you won for me. Or you could just have results and then we can take out the relationships and the rules. And that's just like anarchy. Yeah, for sure. And then that becomes, uh, well, that's the way we've always done it. Or that becomes the, I said so, I'm the leader, I know what I'm doing. You get that Bud Kilmer ego again, uh, coming back into it. I want to go back to what you said just a little bit right there, Coach Weaver, in the the R cycle. It's like so many times we establish rules because we all have to have rules, right? We can't just let players show up whenever they want, do whatever they want. Like, that's also anarchy. So every coach has rules. 
I like to think of them in terms of boundaries rather than rules. Like, you know, like we got a boundary and once you step over that boundary, then we're, then we're fine, but it's still a version of a rule. But then I feel like a lot of times if our rules don't drive the results we want, the first thing we do is we go back and rewrite the rules, right? Yeah. And we get stuck in this constant cycle of rules, results. Oh, okay. Maybe not results. Got to go back, do the rules results. No, maybe got to go back. Like the relationship piece, which really transcends both of those worlds gets overlooked so many times. And I know we talk about that on our podcast all the time, but, um, that's why I like the cycle because you can go both ways. Like you said, you can go clockwise, you can go counterclockwise. You don't, you can have two of the three, you can have only one. Like there's a lot of different ways that you can have a cycle. Yeah. So, and I'll say this for all the math teachers that are coaches out there, the common denominator to make all this go is the relationship piece. And that's the biggest thing that any coach, any listener, administrator, CEO can take away from this is you're not going to get the best bang for your buck from your employees, from your players without the relationship piece there. If you have those rules, don't do this, do this, can't do this, can do this, the results won't go there. So you want somebody to go and sell more advertising for you? Have a relationship with them. Yeah, and I want to go back, and I want to bring Kate back into this conversation, uh, and I want to rewind all the way back. And Kate, um, I want to talk about how you are a rare breed, right? Like you're what my eighth graders would call rare breed. Like we're studying Rosa Parks the other day, and they're like, "Oh, Coach Tory, rare breed right there." Cade uh, is rare breed. I want all of our coaches and our leaders to think about someone who has some of these ideals Cade does in their organization or in their program right now. Um, and then, Cade, I want you to talk about what makes you a great teammate. How did you get this way, right? Because the man on top of the mountain didn't fall there. Like, he had to climb his way up. So tell us a little bit about what you've done to be such a great teammate and a great example for MRA. Uh, personally, one of the strongest things for me is I was raised by a basketball, uh, high school basketball coach. My dad grew up coaching high school basketball, and so I just remember – spending time in the gym doing the little things. We would always stay with him afterwards and I would be sweeping the floor at the end of practice, making sure it was okay for the next day. Uh, I remember there were days he just sit me down, all right, 100 free throws, go. And although basketball isn't my sport right now, I learned do the little things. Do what no one else is willing to do when no one's watching. If you're willing to sit there and work on your dribbling for hours and hours and hours, then the results are gonna come as a part of that. I think one of the best things that happened for us on the D-line that made me just have a good season, luckily got me All-State, is we were supposed to be the most inexperienced and youngest group that really wasn't supposed to do much of anything. Coach came up to, we got a brand new coach this year, and so our head coach came up to our new coach and said, look, you got the most inexperienced group, just try to make something out of them. And we ended up having three out of our four defensive linemen be All-State. And I think it really plays that we didn't have any expected results. No one knew what we were capable of. So it was up, up to us to build those relationships with each other so we could set the standard. We could determine what we were gonna be because no one expected any results from us. It was on us to expect our own results by establishing our own rules, by building our own relationships to get what no one expected of us. And I think once you focus on just doing the little things, personally for me it was just working on those small details that no one sees uh, I remember one of the greatest things Coach ever showed us was a video of a 
former Navy SEAL giving a talk and he said, the first thing you want to do, if you want to change the world, make your bed. Something I've stuck to ever since that day. Make your bed in the morning. Do the first task of the day that no one sees. It changes your life. Don't have everything in your life be, this is the task of the task. Realize what you're doing, but start the day off with the very first thing to get the ball rolling, get something going to motivate you to keep making those changes and to be the best version of you that you can be. No, that's, that's great. As you're talking, I have visions of Magic Johnson. Um, Magic Johnson was one of my heroes growing up. And uh, he used to, his mom would send him for groceries at the local market. And so he would take his basketball with him wherever he went. And all the way to the store, he'd dribble with his left hand. And then as he's going home, he'd have the bag of groceries in one hand. And he'd be dribbling the same block with his right hand going back. That's a small detail, but how many of us forget to develop our left hand? How many of us just focus on our right hand, right? It's those little details that you're talking about. Um, and for those of you who are a little younger than I am, Magic Johnson was a pretty good little basketball player. Um, I want to talk about John Gordon also. Like, how has he influenced you as a leader, Cade? I personally love John Gordon and all the work he's done. It just sort of helped me get my head around how to motivate people and how to be a leader I think the most important thing for me was his book, 21 Ways to Be a Great Teammate. I listened to that book. I read that book over and over and over again. And I actually had in my locker written down on a piece of paper, the 21 ways to be a great teammate. Listed off one by one by one, all the way down number 21. At the very bottom said, have I done this today? With a question mark. And after every practice, I would come back, take my pads off, take my helmet off, put them in my locker, and I grabbed that piece of paper. And if I couldn't competently say, that I have done what I want to do. If I haven't done all 21 of these, I'd get back out on that field and I'd run some more routes. I'd do something again, I'd clean that locker room. I was making sure I could check off every single one of those to be the best version of me. I think I remember it was team camp, even before I came to this school, I was with Coach Weaver and I was playing receiver, which was the worst decision you could have put me at. I was built for a lineman position. I was not built to run a route or catch a ball, but. I was out there nonetheless doing those routes, and I remember I was staying after I said, I can do it better, I can do it better, I can do it better. It's wanting to do little things better and checking off those things, and I think John Gordon has done a great job capturing that and being able to inspire people, especially me. His books and his podcasts are the reasons I'm able to do what I can do. I'll speak to Kate. I remember remember him doing that, but the, as his junior high coach as well, before I moved up to varsity, and he, I moved up with their class um, at the end of every practice. And coaches, I want you to hear this. He came up to me and says, what can I do to get better? So he asked a question. Coaches, how many players come up to you and ask, what can I do to get better? Give them an answer. Give them an answer. If they do that, give them an answer. Because they are the rare breeds. Those are the rare breeds that are going to make an impact on your team. So this was in eighth grade. And his senior year, Kate is sitting with it as an All-State and a four-star captain. You know, and I'll speak to that just very quickly. Uh, it's okay to pause. Like, it's okay to say, let me get back to you. Let me actually put in some time. Because the people, the, the best, right, the very elite, the people like Cade in your program, in your organization, they not only want coaching, but they don't want fluff, right? You want real, meaningful, what can I do to get better? And the, let's be honest, sometimes as a leader, it's just not a good time for me to talk to you about that or for me to give you my full attention. So I think it's okay to push pause, 
and actually sit down, but then you have to follow through. So I, I think that's part of it too. Also, the other takeaway that I have from when Cade was talking about John Gordon is sounds like that could be a very effective book uh, for some coaches to do with their teams. That's kind of becoming the norm right now where people study books. And um, if Cade got a lot out of it, it's not going to hurt. Uh, it's called The Hard Hat. It's really quick, easy read, um, but not easily applied. So, Cade, I really commend you on uh, following through and uh, making sure that every single day you checked off those 21 things. The last piece that I'll say to you, Cade, and then I'm kind of out, right? Like, because I like no one needs to hear me talk anymore. But, Cade, I don't, I've never met you before this phone call. Uh, and I don't know where you're going next year if you're going to play college ball. I'll tell you, if I'm a scout right now or if I'm a college coach, come on. I got a scholarship for you. I'll move someone else off the team to make room for you. Um, but I have no idea what you're going to do next year or what you're going to do in your future or what, what you're going to do when you get to be old and fat and gray like uh, Coach Weaver and I. Maybe bald. I'll be gray. He'll be bald. Uh, so, Cade, whatever you're going to do, though, like the sky's the limit, man. There is a spot for you on every single team in America and uh, never lose that desire to keep learning and keep being the best version of yourself. Thank you, coach. Coaches, you've listened to Cade, Coach Tori and myself discuss the R cycle. Now we want you to go back and watch Varsity Blues and maybe see yourself as Bud Kilmer. And how would you do it differently? How would you build relationships and maybe have some rules that would drive results to make the football team, basketball team, soccer team, whatever team that you coach or in charge of, to make them better by building relationships that will produce results. That's what's best for your team.